Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, let's bring in Janelle Woodward, president of Mackay Shields. Uh, Janelle, thanks so much for joining us here. We love to get your thoughts. I mean, you got a little bit of a rollover in the market today, um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on this Federal Reserve. Are you comfortable with kind of the, the pace of the tapering and more importantly, the communication around potential rate increases? Or are you in that camp that I think is growing that's saying maybe the Fed's kind of falling behind here? Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. And, and I think a really important question as we think about our outlook in, into 2022. Um, I think we're to the first part of your question, we, we are comfortable with tapering and what's been communicated. You know, I think what is still outstanding is whether or not that pace changes as we get through November and, and into December. Um, but you're right. I think what the market's really watching is what happens from a liftoff perspective and, and tightening, which is now projected to be somewhere in, in, in mid-2022. 2022. Um, you know, to us, demand is strong, consumers resilient. You were just referencing that as we look at some of the earnings and, and retail data, but it really comes back to this to, to the conversation around inflation. So, what kind of inflation do you expect in 2022, and is it going to be enough to drive the Fed uh, fund rate up to 50 basis points between 50 and 75? Because that's what the market is pricing in right now, and I feel like. It just seems a little aggressive for this dovish group of uh, Fed governors. Yeah, I think, you know, when, I, when we when we look at inflation, I mean, I think there's still this question of, of transitory. And I think you know, one of the challenges is that we've seen demand come back and be quite robust. And we're still seeing that met with some of the pressures in supply chain. Um, and then we also have the commodity story at play. So that's definitely creating some short-term pressure. It's interesting to look at five-year uh, inflation expectations you know, versus more forward-looking inflation expectations. There's still some confidence that inflation is somewhat transitory and or the Fed is going to get it right. So you know, we think it's probably prudent at some point for them to step into the market in, in 2022. Uh, but to your point, it's probably a little bit slower as we continue to really just kind of navigate the cycle and, and some of the unprecedented recovery that we've been seeing. You know, I know you were used to be the former global head of fixed income at uh, BMO Global Asset Management. And I have to say, I really feel sorry for my friends that are Fixed income portfolio managers, I look at the 10-year at 1.58%, and I'm like, what do people do all day? Where do you find opportunities in the, in the fixed income market? No, I, you know, I think it's a question that we continue to have a lot of dialogue on with 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 our uh, clients, especially as we think about what the implications are for real returns. You know, going back to what we're seeing on the earnings picture gives us a lot of confidence. And so, hang on, you, you basically have to manage down expectations, right? Well, I think there's two pieces of it. You know, one, yes, of course, it's about thinking about what the expectations are. But the other piece of it is how can you get total return? So, you know, the yield is one component, but how can we capture opportunities to create a better total return picture than the yield would otherwise support? So for us, it comes back to credit sectors, which continue to be resilient, but then looking underneath of that and saying, where do we see strength? Where do we see recovery? Real estate that you highlighted, uh, the consumer, uh, some of the leisure sectors coming back. And we think there's still good opportunities to get to positive real returns uh, through using a total return approach. 
All right. So if we look at um, the S&P 500 right now in, in the, on the equity side of the equation, it seems priced to perfection. And we're starting to realize that you've got to have earnings to impress. Um, you were talking, we were talking about the retailers. You mentioned them as well. Um, if you get margin compression because you can't pass on um, the, the, the higher prices, you're in trouble. How do you see that going forward? Yeah, I think it's a great question. As we look back on the earnings cycle, it's one of the things that was raised to date and through the third quarter, we saw um, corporations effective in their ability to pass on the prices, but certainly important, especially if we don't have the demand to support it into, into 2022. You know, it's been interesting, even if we look at spread markets and we look at the curve, we do see some softening as we get these inflation um, prints worried about both the ability to pass it on and what does it mean for earnings, but also if it forces the Fed to act, what it does to the overall uh, broader support of the economy. Janelle Woodward, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your thoughts and you're taking the time. Janelle Woodward, president of Mackay Shields, uh, looking at the market. You know, we had the COP26 conference in Glasgow over the last uh, couple of weeks, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I was expecting some big stuff, some big announcements, and I'm not sure, looking back, that I necessarily Got that. A lot of talk here, but boy, there's uh, certainly uh, a lot to discuss here. Let's get into a little bit of that uh, as we think about uh, President Biden's infra infrastructure bill, renewable energy, and what we did maybe get from COP26. We can do that today with Vijay Montepragada. He's a president and CEO of Montrose Environmental Group. So, Vijay, is my takeaway from COP26, am I being a little too pessimistic, or what did you take away from that? Hey, Paul. Hey, Matt. It's great to be talking to you guys. Um, you know, I it's uh, it's kind of a tale of two cities for me, Paul and Matt. Uh, it's if you think about wanting to stabilize the impacts of the climate, it, it's a monumental human endeavor. Um, and so, you know, if you think about the the lack of consistency of political will, um, of standards, um, uh, and and the the need to build a consensus, um, we're in effect beholden to the slowest adopters, right? So, you know, the the need to put these leaders together and have the delegates come through and think about um, how to build that consensus is important. But then if you step back and think about the uh, the, the the desire by all of us, and, and you alluded to it, Paul and Matt, to, to wanting more action and clear goals um, and visible steps, uh, we're far from it. So in, in that sense, uh, it's a little disappointing um, and I think we haven't done enough to unleash the power of the market um, to help achieve some of those goals. So do we expect Mr. Market to do um, more than Mr. Government has done? I mean, I, I, we talk every day with people about how ESG is more than a trend now. It's actually a strategy. But we still don't have any great metrics. Maybe that's one good thing that's come out of COP26. And we still have a lot of greenwashing. Yeah. I mean, look, my general view is that you need a little bit of Mr. Government and Mr. Market, but depending on your goal, um, especially for all the reasons we just talked about, right, lack of lack of consistency and consensus, Mr. Market's going to be much more powerful here um, to setting a set of frameworks and standards that everyone around the world can work towards. Um, ESG is a little bit of a different force, Paul, in that it's one that we're both subject to and, and a lot of our investors are really interested in. Um, and I, I continue to struggle with what it means, though 
by virtue of all the things we do that we think is good for Montrose and for our business and for our clients, we've kind of accidentally fallen into being an ESG company and making a positive impact. But, um, but yeah, we, we hear the, those concerns from our investors all the time. You know, Vijay, there's a lot of folks, including uh, Michael Bloomberg, the founder of Bloomberg LP and this radio operation that believes it's really up to the cities. That's where you can get a lot of stuff done. You know, um, how do you think about that strategy as opposed to getting the whole world together in Glasgow? It's, I mean, the cities play a, play a huge role, Paul and Matt, but I don't know that I fully agree that it's all up to the cities. Um, there are huge swaths of participants, um, you know, in agricultural communities, uh, in, in, in places where cities perhaps don't play as prominent of a role. Uh, those of us, uh, like the two of you and me, that go between cities all the time, I think uh, cities have a, a, a material role, but not the only role to play. Um, so I, I struggle when there's kind of the responsibility shouldered by one group. I think this is one of those uh, areas where you need businesses, communities, cities, countries, the transportation sector, the, the inter-government um, agencies all working together. I mean, if you, if you think about the, the pandemic as an example of how uh, coordinated that was in terms of the response, and I'm not saying it was perfect, um, we, we set a pretty monumental goal collectively across countries, within countries, private sector, public sector, and we made a hell of a dent. Um, it would be great to see something coordinated like that on a topic of this nature. What, what's the one most powerful change we could see, uh, VJ? You know, I, I I read a story, I think a couple of weeks ago, saying that um, the major producers from the U.S., from Germany, from uh, Japan need to promise to stop building internal combustion engines, which... You know, on the one hand, that hurts me. It's like a wooden stake deep into my heart. On the other hand, it makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, I, they're responsible for a huge portion of carbon emissions, personal vehicles. And it strikes me as also, um, I don't know if the term ironic is right ever since Alanis Morissette, but it, uh, that, that, that all these car makers are like, we're going to electrify our whole fleet by 2030. But when you say, does that mean you won't be producing any internal combustion engines? They're like, no, 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 no. We're still going to be building those. <laughs> so is that, do you think, the biggest change that we could make as a society? No, no. I think, and I think part of the problem, Paula Matt, is that, you know, we're trying to prescribe a solution. And this goes back to what I was trying to say earlier. I probably didn't say it all that eloquently. It'd be great to let the market help decide what that set of solutions should be. Uh, I think one of the biggest changes we could make is to set a price on carbon and to set in place some kind of cap and trade mechanism, but more on a global scale. Um, and then let capital, innovation, and market forces determine whether you want combustion engines or not and how they would phase out, if at all, um, and which sectors and which parts um, uh, of the markets of the economy of the global production cycle, which, by the way, includes uh, a whole lot more than each of us driving cars, um, how all that would play out. So I think I, I personally would go several steps higher than just picking on one um, aspect uh, of a source of emissions. Vijay, um, the infrastructure bill, President Biden's infrastructure bill, it's got some stuff in there about 
the environment? Is it enough or is it a good step, do you think? It's a, it's a good step. I, I think, um, you know, from Montrose's perspective, Paula Matt, it's uh, the investments in infrastructure, which are good for our country, uh, have a positive impact on our services and a demand for our services. Um, and a lot of it uh, requires anytime you build a road, anytime you build a bridge, uh, already with existing rules and laws, you have to do environmental assessments. Um, uh, and so in that sense, it's good. Uh, I think it goes one step further, which is encouraging from my perspective. There's dollars in there um, allocated for the removal of the forever chemicals, the PFAS chemicals from water, which is one of the biggest um, uh, concerns of our generation. Um, uh, there's water infrastructure investments, right. reuse and access uh, investments. So all of those um, types of initiatives, I think, are good for the environment and good for the community, which is why I think it's great. All right, Vijay, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, your time and getting your perspective. Vijay Mantarapagada, uh, president and CEO of Montrose Environmental Group, uh, kind of working with companies uh, to surprise support for cleaner air, uh, cleaner water, and there's a lot to be done. And COP26 uh, was a move forward. You know, here we are in November, mid-November, start time to get some of those year-ahead outlook pieces. And boy, after the year we've had this year, a lot of folks, I'm not seeing a lot of consistency out there, a lot of consensus, I should say, but let's bring in our next guest and see where we land here. David Kudla, founder, CEO, and CIO of Mainstay Capital Management joins us. David, you know, we just got through a pretty darn good earnings season. Um, you know, the Fed is kind of communicated what they're going to do here. It seems pretty clear. Does that set us up for a pretty good 2022? I think it sets us up for a pretty good 2022. It certainly, I think, sets us up for a good end-of-year run, but I quickly need to get into the Corvette discussion. Oh, please do. Uh, I have a C7 ZR1 Corvette Whoa. that I'm holding on to. I, I, have a, I have a C8, but I have the C7 ZR1 because that is the last, as you know, that is the, oh, the last front engine. Uh, manual transmission, true manual transmission with a stick, right? Yeah. that I will have in a Corvette, so I'm, I'm holding on to that one. I uh, have yeah, driven I a couple of those, and uh, some on the track, in fact. I got to drive a few um, C7s on the track up at, where was it, New Jersey Motorsports Park. Gorgeous car, and really, I think it was a huge breakthrough from the C6 to the C7. Um, they made... Uh, so much headway and it's the last of the front engine cars. So I will say having lived in Germany now, David, for a few years and I've been driving a 911 on the Autobahn, it's not ideal for high speeds. You want the weight in the front when you're going fast. Sorry, am I, are we derailing this conversation? <laughs> no, we're right on right on path. But I do want to try the no, C8. I... So if I'm ever near you, I'm going to ask to drive that. <laughs> Well, well, we'll drive them both, and the and this and I drove my C. I've driven the C7 on the track, 755 horsepower, <sighs> ZR1. That is a lot of fun. So, um, yeah. So through year end, we think it looks. We've still got a very constructive setup for stocks, uh, even given a little bit of weakness we've had over uh, a couple of days last week or this week. Uh, as we get into 2022, you know, it becomes a function of we we have some things on the horizon, right? We have. Uh, what uh, is going to happen here within the next several days on an appointment for the Fed chair, what happens with inflation, how high does inflation go, and, and the Fed needs to act more rather than less. Um, so, you know, some of the things that have been tailwinds and accommodate a Fed, 
become headwinds next year. But uh, for now, uh, a lot of liquidity in the system. That's been pushing stocks higher. We, we think we're good through at least year end. Matt was just complaining about how much it costs for him to fill up his F-150 Raptor. And that kind of brings us back to that mm -hmm. inflation discussion. Um, you know, how big of a headwind is that next year? And I suspect that higher gas prices are the are the biggest problem for inflation expectations, because that's when people really yep. notice. They're the, they're the biggest problem for President Biden, for sure. And yeah. we, we've seen what's been happening, you know, what uh, the, the calls he's been making around the world for other countries to release their SPR. But, yeah, the you know, when we talk about inflation and, and really this is the you know, it's I think it's difficult to call what the the peak will be sometime next year. But but here's where we're at. The, the inflation is a problem because it's a supply chain. It's in durable goods primarily. It is affecting you know other goods and services, but primarily durable goods. And we know that that supply chain will heal. It's already Los Angeles port starting to heal a little bit already, but we know the supply chain will heal. So you know I would submit by this time next year we will see inflation a lot lower than these numbers we're seeing now. Between here and there, how much higher it goes anybody's call but it's certainly you know it's certainly risk the market i think the key thing though is it's primarily durable goods inflation when the supply chain heals we'll see so we'll see inflation subside and we'll see some of the secular forces like technology that have been deflationary uh start to become more pronounced again all right david thank you so much we appreciate your uh calls on the market and your calls on the corvette of course yeah i mean, I mean now we know well i know where to go i'm gonna go ahead and say even though i care deeply about the corvette and it's an incredible legacy your call on inflation as um as we were just hearing from katie greifeld earlier is incredibly important yes. in this market yeah it really is so um we appreciate david kudla coming on founder ceo and cio of mainstay capital management now let's bring in my friend and yours, Barry Ritholtz. He's a Bloomberg Opinion columnist. Uh, and we have brought back David Kudla. We and, did? Yeah. I don't know if oh boy. I don't know if the producers <laughs> told Barry why. Um, but Barry, we were talking a little bit about Corvettes, and I was uh -oh. uh, mentioning your C2. And then we uh, talked to David Kudla a little bit earlier, and he said, you know, before we get to inflation, let me get on this Corvette discussion. He is the CEO of Mainstay Capital Management and also a Corvette enthusiast. He has a C7. Ah. Um, which one do you have, David? C7 ZR1 and a C8 Stingray. Nice. I like the C8. I think they did an amazing job on that. Oh, I like both of them. Um, the, the only yeah. ones that I've driven are the C6, which I loved, but I couldn't keep... Um, the back wheels on the ground, and the C7, which I spent a, a considerable amount of time with on the track. I thought they were both incredible. Um, Barry, what do you think about the shift from the front engine uh, to the mid-engine? The C8 is the first time they've moved the engine from uh, you know the front wheels to behind the driver. Well, if you want to remain competitive in the current marketplace, at least in terms of inter internal combustion engine, and be able to compete with Ferrari and Lamborghini and McLaren and the Ford GT and go down the list, the Audi R8. Uh, you, there are just so many obvious benefits of moving mid-engine. It's, it's more balanced. It handles more naturally, shifting weight from front to back. If you want to spend time on track, mid-engine is really very much um, how you're going to ring out those last uh, 
hundredths of a second on on your lap time versus a tail happy front engine rear driven traditional muscle car so david do you actually feel the difference yes you do and gm we have a lot of gm clients uh the chief engineer of uh of the uh, C7 Corvette is a client. Uh, we we uh, have a lot of GM clients and and a lot of discussions about all this. And uh, I, you know, I agree with Barry. Uh, I think GM did an excellent job of squeezing everything they could out of a front engine vehicle. But you know, competing on the track with these other mid-engine cars like Ferrari, and when you know everybody starts seeing the numbers for what you know they're going to be able to do. The Z06 is coming. Uh, I'm first in line at, at a Chevy dealership for the Z06 Can't V8, wait. which will be 670 horsepower. Um, we're going to be put, uh, I say we, GM's going to be putting up some numbers that are going to scare some of these car makers are, that are at four, five, six times the cost of the Corvette. That, that, that's the amazing thing is on a dollar per horsepower rating what what general motors was able to accomplish with this car is really quite astonishing the the next closest thing is like a mustang 350 or a mustang gt500 uh that ford has put out and you're not going to get the same sort of performance you're not going to get the same sort of lap times nor the just really uh, uh, you know i know some people find the new vet a little over the top um but so are all of the McLarens and, and Lamborghinis. It, it is a car that can compete toe-to-toe with the best automobiles in the world. It's it's quite an accomplishment with a base price of $59,000. So, it's it's right, ridiculous. Barry and David, I have to ask you guys, um, I think one of the reasons when I see you guys, and I'll throw Matt in there as well, driving down the road in these awesome, awesome cars, I think one of the reasons you like doing that is because it sounds so cool. <laughs> as these things go electric, it ain't going to sound so cool. What do you guys think about that? I'm okay with that. I mean, my my C2 has side pipes. It it is oh. loud. Like you hear me coming two towns away. <laughs> the ability to sort of stealthily sneak up and and pass the police without them seeing you. There there are advantages to that, and I try and stay, you know, within five to ten miles of the posted speed limit. Well, I I'm not looking to have a longer conversation on the side of the road i'm sure you can with i i don't know but i'm guessing the c8 has you can you can control the exhaust sound in ways but it's always going to make a noise compared to a rivian right david so what do you think about the fact that um are people going to buy these products enthusiasts are enthusiasts going to buy these products or are, 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 are motorheads going to buy these products it's already got rivian a market cap of 130 billion dollars which is like 40 billion more than gm yeah so here's an analogy is in boats when you go from an io where you've got those pipes you may have captain's call where the pipes are in the air rather than under the water and you hear it like you do in a car going versus going to outboards and that's the toughest part. A boat with, you know, my boat without boards, I miss that sound of my boat with an with an IO. And I think for enthusiasts, it's the same thing. I think that there are things that the EV offers because of a flat torque curve uh, that you, you you just can't get with with ICE vehicles. But uh, yeah, it, we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna miss it. Or I think enthusiasts will will miss that aspect of it. EV, but when you talk about the power of an EV, 
um, you know, there's something for enthusiasts as well. What I'm excited about is to hear the flat plane crank in the Z06. Um, that made a huge difference in uh, the, the Mustang performance, but mainly the experience when they brought the 5.2 liter with the flat plane crank. Now the Z06 is going to have that with their 5.5 liter. It's a little bit smaller displacement, but I agree with you, David. That has got to be one of the most anticipated releases of the year. And my only hope is that they do a GT3 version. You know, Porsche has um, the GT3, and what I mean is a touring version. What they, they downplay it. They take off the whale tail. They get rid of the, the spoilers, and they just make it look more like a touring car. I'd love to have a Z06 without all the stuff on it. Isn't that an option? Yeah, the, That's like it, the, yeah, the Z07 package gives you... All that flair and the whale tail, I, I think you could get it fairly modest, can't you? Yeah, you can. You can. And your question about, uh, you know, the sound out the tailpipe, you know, one, one thing that I, I love about the Corvette and a lot of the GM vehicles is the, uh, with the, the variable suspension and uh, tuning that, they have, right. you know, you have a three modes, touring, sport, and track and i call track beast mode and yep. you get that tailpipe when you're sitting there at idle <laughs> all right david kudla thank you so much we appreciate it mainstay capital he came back for a second uh, round to talk cars and of course barry Ritholtz, bloomberg opinion columnist host of masters in business uh for this little segment of car talk brought to you by uh, matt miller and your friends at a uh, bloomberg radio thanks for listening to the bloomberg markets podcast you can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.